Welcome to the Paralegal Voice, where you hear the latest issues and trends in the world of paralegals and legal assistance by one of the best-known paralegals in the industry, Vicki Voisin. A paralegal for more than 20 years, Vicki is dedicated to helping legal professionals reach their goals. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Paralegal Voice here on Legal Talk Network. I'm Vicki Voison, the Paralegal Mentor and host of the Paralegal Voice. I'm Anella, Advanced Certified Paralegal. I publish a weekly e-newsletter titled Paralegal Strategies. And I'm also the co-author of The Professional Paralegal, A Guide to Finding a Job and Career Success. You'll find more information at paralegalmentor.com. My guest today is Virginia Corselman Newman. Virginia is an attorney, and she is in Hemingway, South Carolina. But before we begin, I want to recognize our sponsors and and thank them. That would be Boston University, offering online certificate in paralegal studies. So if you're seeking a professional credential or just want to further develop your skills, Boston University provides an affordable, high-quality, 14-week program. Visit paralegalonline.bu.edu for information. That's paralegalonline.bu.edu. Another sponsor is NALA, a professional association for paralegals, providing continuing education and professional certification programs for paralegals at NALA.org. NALA is a force in the promotion and advancement of the paralegal profession and has been a sponsor of the Paralegal Voice since the beginning. And also serve now a national network of trusted pre-screened process servers when you work with ServeNow, you work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. The goal of the Paralegal Voice is to discuss a wide range of topics important to the paralegal industry and to share with you leading trends, significant developments, and resources you'll find helpful in your career and your everyday job. Guests are usually included to help explore all of these timely topics, and for that reason, I've invited Virginia Corselman Newman to be with me today. Jenny, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Yeah. What I'd like for you to do first is to tell our listeners a bit about you, because you have quite an interesting journey. So let's hear um, well, I have been in the, working in the uh, legal profession since uh, about 1970. Um, I started as a legal secretary, um, and then I worked as a paralegal uh, for nearly 10 years. I was the first paralegal to be certified by NALA from the state of Nebraska. Um, I went to law school uh, following that, and... Um, uh, practice law for 26 years, um, during which time I also was teaching part-time, but I found that teaching was what I liked the most. And so I've been teaching, writing, doing all sorts of articles, uh, whatever I can do to promote the paralegal profession. Right. You've been a long supporter of the paralegal profession and also NALA. You've written the CLA exam, not exam, but the study guide. Yes, the uh, study guide and uh, mock exam, uh, which was our first 
uh, review course and also the uh, CP review manual, which has been published since 1992 and uh, is still used widely uh, for people to prepare for certification. Okay, yeah. You've done wonderful things. You were on the uh, certifying board. Yes, I was, and um, I then served as a consultant uh, to the certifying board. Um, I also still serve as consultant to the Advanced uh, Paralegal Certification Board. Okay. Well, we thank you for all of the time that you have given to NALA. Recently at the NALA convention, which was their 40th convention, you taught, or you were on the faculty, of the three-day Institute for Essential Skills. Uh, Just tell me briefly what that covered. Um, There are three arms of that particular uh, track. Uh, One is legal research, one is written communication, and one is judgment and legal analysis. When I became a paralegal, everything was done in the books. And actually, when I studied for the, or when I got certified, I studied in the law library. And some paralegals do more research than others, depending on, you know, where they are and everything, Mm -hmm. what their firm does. But is legal research done mostly online now? Um, I don't know that that's necessarily true. If it's correct that the majority of lawyers are practicing either as solo practitioners or as very small firms, those individuals would not be able to research online routinely, say, using Westlaw or Lexis because of the cost that's involved. So uh, they would maintain a small uh, library in their offices, uh, maybe do some internet searching, but um, it's still predominantly down at the county law library or um, maybe uh, subletting someone else's Westlaw account. Okay. Yeah, I think I always did it on LexisNexis and, mm. and that kind of thing. So you don't do Google, right? No. <laughs> Google is probably not quite enough. I, I would think not. You shouldn't shepherdize on Google, right? Absolutely not. For sure. Well, what are some uh, tips for legal research? And let me tell you that one of my problems when I was doing legal research was the fear that I was missing something. So what, you know, what are your tips for that? Um, the first thing you want to do is is to uh, have a good understanding of what the problem is, the facts of the case, and then uh, come up with your search parameters. Even if you're not using a computerized system, you still have to have those search parameters, uh, search words. And then you want to look through, if you're looking for cases, then it would be um, through um, digests. And if you're looking for statutes, then you would look through the indexes for the statutes. It could be as wide as West Federal Practice Digest for, you know, case law throughout the federal system or something as similar as a one particular state. But the, the, the concept is that you know what you need to find and where it ought to be found and then be thorough as you're going through uh, to, in your search words. And if you're finding the same cases over and over again using your various search terms, then uh, you probably have found just about everything that's there. Okay. That's good advice. Now, you also do uh, judgment and legal analysis. I know that that is one of the most, I don't want to say the most difficult things to get certified, to know all of that. But I think it's the most difficult thing for paralegals, only um, 
just to have the whole concept and to understand it. But you can learn that, right? Absolutely. Lawyers learn it. Uh, Lawyers are not born thinking the way they do. They learn to think that way. And if you work for lawyers, whether you realize it or not, you're probably thinking that way uh, for by a large part uh, in being able to analyze something to get the right data together in order to be able to analyze it and then to analyze it according to the rules. Uh, you know, it must relate. You have to, to connect the fact to the rule and explain why, uh, always, uh, to get to your, your points. So is there an analytical process that you follow? Yes. I usually will skim the facts and the rules that I think are applicable and then just come up with all the legal questions that you can uh, related that might apply and then go through and answer, every analyze them using the rules that you've determined apply and the facts and answer every single question until you're finished with all of them. And somewhere in that process, you'll go, yes, this is the right legal issue. This is the one that solves the case in the quickest, fastest way for our client. Okay. That's all good advice. I like that. And also what I'd like to know is if you have tips for paralegals who want to learn more about that, are there books? Do you take courses? What? How do you... Um, learn that. Right. Critical thinking courses are somewhat helpful, but uh, what I found was the most helpful for me uh, to get in the right mindset uh, is to uh, notice what's going on in the office, what lawyers are doing, and then to go get the um, practice books that they use for the LSATs, uh, the lawyer's scholastic aptitude test. If you look at that, there will be in there uh, story problems. And if you go through the story problems and try to understand how they got to the answer that they got to, and it isn't what's right or what's wrong, it's what is logical. And keep it logical, not what you feel. Uh, So some common sense is involved with this? Common sense and an absence of emotional thinking. Okay, well that's good. Now, it's time to take a short break for a word from our sponsors, Boston University, NALA, the Association of Legal Assistants and Paralegals, and ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. And when we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Virginia Corselman Newman, JD, and talk with her more about uh, the Institute for Essential Skills that was at NALA's 40th convention in Tulsa in July. Are you looking to advance your career? Do you know someone who wants to enter the paralegal profession? Boston University's fully online Certificate in Paralegal Studies is a fantastic option. It's affordable, takes just 14 weeks to complete, and is led by accomplished faculty who teach employer-focused skills like legal research, writing, technology, and more. Visit paralegalonline.bu.edu for more information and to download a free brochure. That's paralegalonline.bu.edu. Edu. 
NAWA means professional. NAWA offers classroom and web-based continuing education and professional development for all paralegals. And NAWA's certified paralegal credential has been a gold standard of professionalism for over 30 years. More than 15,000 paralegals have this certification, and nearly 2,000 have achieved the demanding advanced certified paralegal. NALA works actively with all those in the legal field to promote the value of paralegals and to advance paralegal professionalism. See more about why NALA means professional at www.nala.org. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry, connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. Welcome back to the Paralegal Voice. I'm Vicki Voison. My guest today is Virginia Corselman Newman. I consider Jenny the expert on just about everything paralegal. She um, is an attorney who has long supported the paralegal profession. I think so much of her that when I co-wrote The Professional Paralegal, A Guide to Finding a Job and Career Success, that uh, the book was dedicated to Jenny as uh, the mentor extraordinaire. So um, we've been longtime friends, and I'm so pleased to have her with me today so that we can talk about some of the essential skills that paralegals need. So far, we've talked about uh, legal research, we've talked about judgment and legal analysis, and now I want to talk about communication. Before I do that, though, I want to talk to Jenny about some of the types of reasoning, because I know about deductive reasoning. So tell us, I know there are two more kinds, Mm -hmm. and so I'd like to hear about that. There is analogical reasoning, uh, reasoning by analogy or or by uh, comparing something to something else to see whether it's similar, more similar, or not similar. And we use that for case law. Uh, We do that for case analysis. Uh, You'll see that in judicial opinions quite a bit, uh, where they compare it to say, this is like that, but not like something else. That's analogical reasoning. You'll see that in the case law area of law. Uh, Another one is um, inductive reasoning, uh, where you start with a whole bunch of facts, and you it's an inverted pyramid, uh, so that you drain it down to the nth degree. So let's say that if you have a half a bushel of apples, and if you take one out and it's green, how logical is it that all the apples are green? Not very. But as you keep taking more out and building, uh, then it becomes more and more reasonable to conclude that all of the apples are green. Uh, It's that kind of a thing. I can even understand that. That's good. (laughs) I like that, Jenny. So we want to talk about uh, communication. Communication has never been difficult for me, and so Often when I'm writing, I feel like it's just, I just do what's logical. You know, you forget the rules. I have to admit that from, from when I had phonics, remember phonics and diagramming sentences and all that stuff. But 
it must have stuck with me somewhere because it, it kind of all makes sense. What I really like is the column you write in Facts and Findings, Nell's, pub, Nell's Journal, and uh, I find that a great learning tool, and I'm always surprised when I miss the questions. I'm surprised, too. No, you shouldn't be, but um, I, I think that's a great tool. Well, thank you. Yeah, I really do, and I, I think it's a good learning tool. So tell me about why we don't want to use heretofore and wherefore and all of the other legalese when we're writing. Generally speaking, unless we're uh, trying to conform to some kind of uh, judicial understanding of, of a phrase, we don't want to use those sorts of words because they are legal gobbledygook. Uh, they just mess up what the thought is. Uh, there's a theory that if you don't want people to understand what it is you're really saying, uh, include a lot of legal ease and run on sentences and so on and so forth, because that way they'll lose their train of thought uh, and they won't know what you said. Mm-hmm. And truthfully, uh, you can go back and look at some politicians, for instance. Uh, you go back and analyze a paragraph of something that they've said in a speech and you'll see that they said nothing. Um, because it all contradicted each other. Um, so, so it's it, all filler. It, it's filler, and, and it, it makes the writer feel good, but for the listener or the reader, it's horrible. Right, right. Well, when paralegals are writing, what are some of the pitfalls they should avoid? For one thing, copying their boss's writing style. Usually, a paralegal who can create simple declarative sentences out of legal gobbledygook and not lose the meaning uh, is going to be worth his or her weight in gold. Okay. Uh, Get to it, say it, and say no more. Okay. Well, how is general writing, say I'm just doing a, a note to a friend or something like that, how is that structured differently from legal writing? And then I also know that you have to sometimes be persuasive. So explain all these differences to me. Well, the writing to a friend, at least for me, I I can use some slang occasionally just to to be friendly, but truthfully, I I would not want to misspell words. I wouldn't want to mispunctuate and that sort of thing because that's just rude uh, for the person who has to read it. If I'm trying to persuade someone, then I'm going to, there's a, a regular formula for how you have to approach it, and it's that analogical Uh, kind of thinking. Um, And you will see it in the Declaration of Independence and some of our founding documents. It's very, very clear. It's been around since the time of Plato. So there's a specific formula for the argument, and all good arguments follow that formula. And insofar as pitfalls, uh, not being careful. Going back and checking your spelling, if you don't understand what the word means, look it up. Take the time to look it up and second-guess yourself to make sure that something is absolutely correct. Because believe it or not, even I uh, will write something and go, what? Did I just write that? I can't believe it. Just because uh, you become inattentive. You know, you're writing for content and not so much for um, punctuation and grammar. But Mm -hmm. those are critical parts of the writing uh, for purposes of understanding 
on the other person's part. I think one of the pitfalls to avoid is to believe that spell check can solve all your problems. Amen. Yeah, it just it's a wonderful tool, but I don't think you can always rely on... Absolutely not. We all know that there are some words that sound alike but mean opposite. So right. They, they, we want, that's a dangerous, dangerous thing to, to use as a crutch. Mm-hmm. Now, it is, though, very difficult to proofread your own material. I've learned that the hard way. And I think technology has maybe even made it more difficult. Uh, you know, we're pulling up forms that we've used before, and we don't we make mistakes. Mm-hmm. So, do you have any tips for proofreading your own material? Um, yes, uh, I have the same problem. When I write something and I've stopped, I'm finished with it. I think it looks good. Otherwise, I would not have stopped. But the thing you, we need to do is it, let it get cold at least overnight before you proofread, and then come back at it and read it as if it were written by someone you really don't like very much. And go after it with that blue pencil uh, and take out all the unnecessary words and uh, pare it down to exactly what needs to be said and get rid of the fluff. You can always add fluff back in, but you can't take gobbledygook out after it's been there too long. Yeah, yeah. And that's good advice. So, you know, I know that in your institute you uh, talked about the fact that communication is, of course, an essential skill. That's something that every paralegal needs to be able to do. Can that be learned, or is that just an innate skill? It is not innate. Uh, Some people learn have a natural inclination to various things. Um, but what it makes the difference is the person who's willing to practice and to work at it con- constantly. Um, that's, that's why they call it the practice of law. You never get perfect. Well, you never write perfectly either. Um, it should be the practice of writing because you constantly are practicing and trying new things, see if they work, being careful, proofreading, proofreading other people's work, being aware that the written word is a lawyer's stock and trade. And as a paralegal, you're there to help protect uh, that practice and that lawyer uh, so that you, you then have job security. Right. And job security is something that everybody needs. Now, you do teach, well, I know that you use Strunk and White. I do. As a, a reference, one that I used when I studied for the certified paralegal exam, I think still have on my bookshelf. It's something that I look at frequently. But you t- get into the parts of speech, you talk about sentence structure, and, um, and I know that you consider that a good reference, but do paralegals really go back and think about their sentence structure once they start working? They should. They should. (laughs) They better. Uh, Otherwise, uh, it will be a problem because if my writing is poor, um, then everyone's writing in the office is going to become questionable uh, just because I'm the weakest link. Uh, and it's like the, the chain analogy. If the, the weakest link determines what, what people, how people will see you. Uh, so if we have people on our staff who cannot write, uh, the lawyers can get away with it a little bit because they've got paralegals uh, and legal secretaries to, to clean up their work. But paralegals are, are really on the front line when it comes to writing. Mm-hmm. technical writing. Yeah. During my paralegal career, I have worked with attorneys who could hardly write a complete sentence. 
I've worked with attorneys who were great communicators who, who used actually more difficult words than they needed to. But it, it, So it's run the whole spectrum. But you're right. We have to make them look good. So I, I understand why those skills are, are important. But what are some of your tips for writing for lawyers? Is it different? I don't think it is different. I have heard people say that there's for, informal writing and formal writing. I don't think there is a difference. Um, you write correctly or you write incorrectly. And as I say, I'll allow myself slang if I'm writing a note to a friend, but at no other time. Um, because we want to be clear we want to be concise. We want to be uh, direct in, in what we're saying uh, and simple. Use simple words if simple words will convey the right meaning. Okay. Does it matter if you represent the plaintiff or the defendant, how you write? Uh, sometimes it can. Uh, for instance, you know, if, if just a typical personal injury collision, for instance, the plaintiff is going to talk about it in terms of a collision or a crash where a defendant will say an accident. Uh, So if you can accurately tell the facts and use words that will have a nuance, uh, use it. You would do that on behalf of your client. But um, the more important thing is to be clear. All right. Well, Jenny, I really appreciate your taking the time to join me today. I um, always love talking with you. And what I'd like to know, though, is if our listeners want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Um, They can reach me at um, uh, VirginiaCorselman.com. I have a webpage uh, there and also uh, vcorselman.com at wildblue.net. Also, they could get in touch with you, Vicki. <laughs> right. I know where you are. I can find you. My dream is someday to sit on your porch and, and write. You know, well, first of all, Jenny is in the South, so I would drink sweet tea and write. Come on down. <laughs> okay. So we're going to take another short break. Don't go away, because when I come back, I'm going to have news and career tips for you. Thanks again, Jenny. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. Now is the part of the program where I give you my practice tip for today or make announcements or whatever. My practice tip for you is to be sure that you first join a a paralegal association, a professional association, local, state, national, whatever is available to you, and that you be sure that you uh, attend their events because when you do, you're going to learn a lot of information that you just didn't even know was out there. Things that Jenny Krusselman and I have talked about today, that's how you learn, you meet people, and you make your world large. All learning can't be done online. It's uh, important to be there in person. So that's all the time we have today for the Paralegal Voice. If you have questions about today's show, please email them to me. That would be Vicki, V-I-C-K-I, at paralegalmentor.com. And also, don't forget to check out my blog. That's paralegalmentor.com slash 
blog. And the resources that I've made available to you and, and there and at my website, which is paralegalmentor.com, have been designed to help you move your career in the right direction, and that's always forward. This is Vicki Voison thanking you for listening to the Paralegal Voice and reminding you to always make your paralegal voice heard. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to The Paralegal Voice, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Vicki Voison for her next podcast on issues and trends affecting paralegals and legal assistants. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.